And in Acts chapter 5, where we left off last week was, um, you're seeing the church grow. Grow and grow and grow. And, you know, not just like, you know, five people coming to the Lord. Of course, there's, you know, five people coming to the Lord. But straight up thousands, 2,000 being saved, 3,000 being saved. And, you know, at the end where we left off last week, it says in verse 16, says also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, the demonic realm. And just as we see that the demonic realm, things evil and satanic and demonic here in the book of Acts, you know, it's, it's with us today. Things of the demonic, things of like major, major evil. Because remember, you know, the Bible teaches that in the last days, these things are going to happen. Because Satan knows his time is short, so he's going to amp it up. You know, if we were like, you know, in combat... And we were fighting an enemy. And you, there's kind of like a, a tempo of combat where you can feel the intensity. You can feel certain levels of intensity. You know, a shot here, a shot here. But if it's just like major, like, you know, an onslaught of, you know, shot after shot after shot. You, you feel that tempo of combat. But, you know, it's been said that, you know, you know, the enemy is about to lose when he intensifies his... His offense, it's kind of like their, you know, their last ditch to say, hey, we're going to die. So let's just go out in a blaze of glory. So when you feel that tempo start to amp up, you know that, okay, they're losing. It's uh, theory in combat. Sometimes you know, they got a lot of arms and, you know, so it could be that too. But, you know, there's that tempos of combat on the battlefield. But that's what you see also too in the Bible, in Holy Scripture. You see this opposition to the things of the Lord. You see this opposing force to the things of the Lord. You see it in people. You see it in the religious leaders, the religious establishment. And then you also see it in the demonic realm. And it's going to be, I mean, we already live in these days. I mean, I'm not a doctor or anything, but have you ever talked to a schizophrenic before? And it's like, this person's crazy. Or, you know, bipolar. It's like, you know, they're happy one minute and 10 minutes later, they're sad. And, then, you know, 10 minutes later, they're mad. And, you know, they go to the doctor and the doctor says, here, take these drugs, take these drugs, take these drugs. Or you see these veterans come back from combat. They go to the VA hospital. And the doctor says, you know, take these drugs, take these drugs, take these drugs. Meanwhile, they go home and they're mixing it with alcohol. Taking some other drugs that they buy on the street. And it's like, you see, these people are crazy. They're, they're not themselves. That's what the, in the book of Acts, we're going to see how, you know, Paul... When he's encountering these people, Dr. Luke is the one who writes about these things and he calls it pharmakia, sorcery, drugs. And, you know, in a lot of cases, we live in a society where certain things are being legalized. Marijuana, some states are wanting to legalize PS, or, or LSD now. 
And it's like, you know, the psychotropics. What happens inside of a mind? Or, you know, the, to desensitize, you know, people are on depre they're, they're depressed. They go to the doctor and they take these drugs to suppress this, this feeling. But, I mean, these are feelings that are part of the human emotion, of the human experience. Read Habakkuk. Habakkuk was depressed like crazy. And he went to the Lord. It's so wild to consider the days that we live in. You say, oh, you know, Jay, I don't like how you say it that way. It's so mean. It's so cold-hearted. Because, look, you know, my uncle's a schizo. Why are you being so mean to him? Well, yeah, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to explain the times that we live in, the times in the book of Acts, and, you know, what Dr. Luke wrote about. So look at verse 17, this opposition. It's nothing new. It was nothing new to Jesus Christ. It's nothing new to the apostles. Why should we expect it to be something new for us? Remember, friendliness with the world is enmity with God. That's what Brother James writes to us about. It's been said before that if you're not on the receiving end of uh, 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 some kind of oppression, some kind of opposition, something's wrong. Something's wrong. But then at the same time, you know, you also see that where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. People are being saved. People are being healed. And the gospel is spreading like wildfire. Multitudes are coming to the faith. Multitudes are believing in Jesus Christ. And I, situationally speaking, I kind of like how the religious establishment here in the book of Acts they're powerless. They're completely powerless. They're completely void of hope. They are void of filling the gaps in people's lives. That's kind of what I like about the religious establishment today. I mean, have you, I, I, I do this quite often, you know. Well, I'll, I'll listen to, I mean, there's certain pastors that I absolutely adore. If the Lord didn't call me to be a pastor, I'd say, hey, baby, we're moving. We're going to, because I want to be in this fellowship. And it's such a trip because, you know, I listen to other pastors, some locally. And it's like a pep talk. I mean, you go to like, you know, business meetings, you know, and it's like, oh, you know, it's like a pep rally. Or, you know, company picnics or whatever. And it's like a pep rally. Oh, we're going to do this. We got these numbers to hit. We got this to do. And it's like a pep rally. You read the Bible, there's nothing at all like a pep rally. Nothing at all. It's straight up hand-to-hand -hand combat, spiritually speaking. And here you see this opposition now. It's coming upon the apostles in the form of the high priest. The high priest, the religious establishment. In verse 17 says, then the high priest rose up. In Luke chapter 3, verse 2, Dr. Luke, he writes to us about there's Caiaphas and Anas who were the high priests. And he says in Luke chapter 3, verse 2, that God bypassed these people. 
God bypassed these people and the word of God went to John the Baptist. John the Baptist. And I think it's so cool because when you consider the religious establishment, you know, if you're a pew Christian, you're sitting in the pews and you think, surely that guy is a godly man. Surely that guy is a godly man. Or you could say, surely that woman is a godly man. Surely that transvestite is a godly, you know, whatever they decide to be. But then you read the Bible and it's like, wait a second, the women aren't supposed to be teaching. In the, in, in, you know, men. They could teach other women. You read the Bible and you say, okay, you know, trans, transgenders are... I get confused because it's like, you know, I say tranny to mean other things, but, you know, somebody corrected me on that. And I, I don't know, I don't want to describe it, but it's like, I don't even know anymore. The LGBTQ, and it's like, I, I don't get it. But you read the Bible and it's like, wait, this isn't right. And, you know, I'm not speaking about like homosexual sin and, you know, lesbian sin and gay sin. But there's also things that, you know, heterosexual sin, too. Which is very, very rampant in the church. And you know what's so cool about these people in, you know, positions of authority? God sees it. And he'll bypass those people and go to the godly. Just like the high priest, which, you know, we're reading beautiful passages in the Old Testament where the the high priest is held in high regard because he has a special task. For God to have oneness with the people. It's not to say, wow, look how special this guy is. It's to say, wow, you know, the Lord is speaking to us through this guy. The Lord is giving us guidance through this guy. And that's where we're at in Exodus. But look what happens here. What happened? Generation upon generation upon generation, the people became deaf and blind. And the religious establishment were bypassed. And all of a sudden, the word went to John the Baptist. That's what Dr. Luke reveals to us in Luke chapter 3, verse 2. By the way, don't forget, you know, John the Baptist had his head taken away from his body. Don't forget that too. It's part and parcel of being a Christian. People will hate you. People will call you stupid. People will think you're crazy. Who cares? Who are they? In one sense, you got, you, it kind of makes you sad because it's like, wow, you know, to have compassion on these people. They call you stupid. They call you crazy. And it's like, man, you know, I mean, we studied it a couple weeks ago with Lazarus and the rich man. When the rich man was like, you know, Father Abraham, let Lazarus touch the tip of my tongue. No, it, it doesn't work that way. There's a big chasm. That's why it's much better to make the choice right now in this life. I shouldn't even say it that way. I mean, yeah, it's better. But it's like the only opportunity that we'll have in this life. So the high priest rose up and all who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees. Now, we've read a lot about the Pharisees. You see the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. The Sadducees were more hardcore than the Pharisees because they believe in the, the five books of Moses, which we have in our Bibles. The first five chapters of your Bible is the first five books of Moses. The Sadducees, they believe it. they take the written Torah 
which are the five books of Moses, also called the Pentateuch. You know, like the Pentagon, the five, you know, five, five walls, five sides. That's the Pentateuch. They also take the oral Torah, which is commentaries, but they largely rely upon the written Torah. That's the Sadducees. The Pharisees, they believe in the Torah, the Navim, which is the writings of the prophets, like Isaiah, Jeremiah. And they also believe in the Ketuvim. These are Hebrew words, <laughs> which are the writings, like the minor prophets. TNK, the Torah, the Navim, and the Ketuvim. That's why they call it the Tanakh. Tanakh. Very important because the very text we read about the scribes, we read about the Sadducees, we read about the Pharisees, and the very text that they have, we have. It's called the Old Testament. We have their text. So like a big chunk of your Bible are the same text that these Pharisees and Sadducees had. Except the Sadducees, they only believe in the five first books of Moses. I'm just going to read my tabs here. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's the Torah. That's the Pentateuch. That's what the Sadducees relied on. The Pharisees, they accepted the other, the prophets and the minor prophets. So you take the rest of the Old Testament. You have, we have the writings. Now i got to find my place. We have the writings. Except they were blind. That's the danger of reading the letter of the law and not understanding the spirit of the law. Blindness came upon these religious leaders. You know, I could say also blindness came to the Jew first because they were blind to the things of the Lord. But then also in the last days, the Bible teaches that blindness is going to come upon the church as well. Because people don't have a desire for truth. They don't want truth. I'll tell you what I love best about truth. When confronted with truth, it immediately forces to my knees in repentance. When my life doesn't align with the word of God and when confronted with truth, it immediately forces to my knees. That's what I love the best about truth. But if there are passages in scripture, if I say, well, you know, I don't like to read, you know, um, Deuteronomy, you know, it hurts my feelings. Oh, I don't like to read the book of Acts, you know, it's kind of weird. I'm a crack addict. It talks about all these drugs. And then if all of a sudden I start to shave off all these things, what am I doing to the word of God? What am I doing to the word? And then I start to say, well, I just like to read the Psalms. I only like to read the Psalms. I only like to read, you know, maybe I'll be hardcore. I'll read a little bit of Philemon. But everything else I don't like because it hurts my feelings. Where is repentance going to come from? Where is that conviction going to come from? It's so wild, you know, this blindness. I have to say, too, you know, we're living in a day and age where there's an anti-Jew movement. It's growing and it's going to get worse in the last days. Remember, the Antichrist is going to come to kill the Jews. And then when, he, when the Lord protects the Jews, he's going to come and kill Christians. 
It's highly, highly, highly satanic. Highly satanic. There's a lot of pastors. I'll say quote unquote pastors because I don't call them pastors. I call them wolves. They believe in replacement theology. I could name names, but I'm going to kind of chill out a little bit and not name names just yet. You know, we might live in a day and age, you know, pretty soon. Well, I'm just going to, you know, call people out. But this replacement theology that says, oh, God is done with the Jews. God is done with Israel. So now he's focusing on the church. He's done with the Jews. You know, the Bible never teaches that. Don't forget Romans 11. The, 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 the root is greater than the branches. The root being the Jewish people. We are the branches. As Asenath was a Gentile wife. To Zafnath Panea, also known as Joseph. That's what the church is to Jesus Christ. A Gentile wife, a Gentile bride. But don't forget that he has brothers who will soon acknowledge that he is the Lord. In the last days, he will acknowledge that Jesus, they will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's going to be a hardcore, hardcore movement against, anti, you know, against the Jews, like anti-Semitism. You know, don't fall into that trap. A lot of pastors, you know, they start to teach about replacement theology. And, you know, quote unquote pastors, because I call them wolves. That's what's so cool about knowing scripture, knowing prophecy. It's because somebody spews this garbage. You can say, man, that's garbage. But look what happens here. That, uh, in uh, verse 17, the high priest rose up and all those that were with them, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation. Translates as zeal, jealousy, and anger. They were straight up mad. If we fast forward to verse 33, ultimately they plot to kill them, the apostles. They want to kill the apostles. Just like they wanted to do with Jesus Christ and just like they did with Jesus Christ. And you know what the Lord says? Hey, you know, a slave is not greater than his master. You or I are not greater than our master. Expect persecutions. Expect people to hate you. Expect people to be filled with indignation when you speak truth. Not just speak truth. But when your life exemplifies the truth of righteousness, people will hate you. Oh, my marriage is falling apart. My husband beats me. My wife cheats on me. But your husband doesn't do that. Your wife doesn't do that. And then they start to hate you. It's, it's the last days. These are things that the Lord told us about. To prepare his bride for his coming. So look what happens. In verse 18. This, the religious establishment. Verse 18 says. And laid their hands on the apostles. And put them in the common prison. But at night. In verse 19. I love this so much. It's like night ops. You know. Breach. But at night. 
An angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go, stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life or all the matters of this life. God's messengers are at work, both human and angelic. You see, God is the one that's doing the work. God is at work. You talk to people nowadays, somebody who has a, a doctorate in theology, master's degree in, in theology. Oh, that was for 2,000 years ago. The Lord intervening, the Lord rescuing people out of prison, the Lord doing these things, the Lord healing. That was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. That's garbage. No expiration date on the moving of the Holy Spirit. And so he says this, you know, in verse 21, and when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning. So it was a, like the prison break. It was at night. And then, you know, the Lord, the, the angel of the Lord said, you know, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And look what they did when they entered. Uh, when they heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught and taught teaching the people. Remember chapter 4, verse 2, or uh, chapter 4, verse 2, and chapter 4, verse 18. The religious leader says, don't you dare teach. Don't you dare speak in that name. Satan hates Bible teachers. Satan doesn't mind, you know, the uh, transgender pastor. Satan doesn't mind the female pastor. And I'm speaking specifically of like, you know, certain uh, Lutheran and Methodist common. You know, it's so sad because you look at the history of like the Methodist church and what they are today. Very liberal liberalism that has come into the church. And I'll put it another way. The world's coming into the church. And so it's like, you know, you have these women pastors that teach men. You have these transgender pastors. But you look at the very, very beginnings of the uh, uh, Methodist church, John Wesley. And it's like, whoa, this guy is awesome teaching his people, teaching the flock the word of God. The early beginnings of these movements are always beautiful. But then Satan opposition comes. But Satan hates Bible teachers. The very second the Lord says, you know, puts it on your heart. You know, I want you to teach the Bible. If you want it, if you want comfort in life, if you want people to get along with you. Disobey the Lord. And say, you know what? I'm not going to teach the Bible. But in obedience to I'm not advocating that. What I am advocating is be obedient to the Lord. So the Lord puts it on your heart. Okay, you know, Lord, you put it on my heart. I'm going to go teach the Bible. You teach the Bible. Expect people to hate you. It's nothing new. It's in the book of Acts. But the high priest and those with them came and called the council, the Sanhedrin. As a little side note, the Sanhedrin was revived in 2004 in Israel. So there's a Sanhedrin body in Israel, which is active in Israeli government. But the high priest and those with them came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. 
So, you know, and so they didn't, they didn't know that the angel freed them from prison. But when the officers came and did not find them in prison, they returned and reported saying, so this is the report of the prison guards. This is what they said in verse 23 saying, indeed, we have found the prison shut securely and the guards stand, standing outside before the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Remember, the night mission was complete. Zero casualties. We found no one inside, they said. So verse 24 says, Now when the high priest, the captain of the temple, and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. They were astonished, perplexed. What are the implications of the apostles being gone? A prison escape. They're gone. Now what do we do? Verse 25. So one came and told them saying another report now. Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. How awesome is that? A normal prison break? You know, they, they break out of prison and it's like run as fast as you can. Get away from the proximity of the prison. Because once they find out, they're going to send out the guards. They're going to look for you. They're going to do all these things. So a normal prison break, it's like, hey, we got to get out of Dodge. But in obedience to the Lord, they get out of prison, walk a couple steps, and they start teaching the people. In obedience to God. God is guiding the people. God is guiding his people. God is guiding the apostles. And using them. Remember, all these people are being healed. Many, multitudes of people are coming to the faith and believing in Jesus Christ. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence. For they feared the people lest they should be stoned. I think this is kind of interesting in verse 26. Because there's the public perception. Think of like... Politicians, you know, how they want to have this public perception. They have these bright white teeth. Their hair is combed a certain way. They have this certain look because it's, it's all public perception. But then who are they behind closed doors? Remember these religious leaders, the religious establishment. They were greatly, greatly disturbed. And they threatened the apostles. Remember our study in chapter 4. They threatened the apostles. And then in verse 33 says they, they're, they're going to want to kill them. And so here in verse 27 says, And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, which is the Sanhedrin. And the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look. You have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. Doctrine, instruction that has been taught. Instruction from the Holy Word. Sound doctrine. And this opposition, the religious establishment, they are mad. We told you, we strictly commanded you. Don't you ever teach in this name. And now they're calling the apostles on it. 
You have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. I think this is very interesting because remember in chapter 4, verse 10. Peter is the one who says, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. Whom you crucified. He's, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, is calling them on it. Calling them on their sin. You crucified the Messiah. And that's why they're saying you intend to bring this man's blood on us in verse 28. But Peter and the apostles answered and said, Who ought to, we ought to obey God rather than men. I love that so much. Peter is just sold out. Remember, Peter is the one who denied the Lord three times. Three times. The first time he's like, I don't know this guy. The second time, I tell you, I don't know this guy. The third time he started cussing. He started cursing. I blank don't know, you know, blank. I tell you, I blank don't know this guy. And when you read the passages in scripture in chronological order, the rooster crowed right as he was looking up and Jesus and Peter looked connected eye to eye. And then Peter remembered what the Lord told him. And he went and wept. This was so cool about repentance. This Peter, this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful man, Peter, is the one who denied the Lord. Except he received restoration from the Lord. That's the beauty of repentance. The Lord can restore anybody. But where is repentance? Oh, I don't like to read these verses that convict me. They hurt my feelings too much, so I'm not going to read it. Where's repentance going to come from? Where? And so look what he says here in verse 30. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered. Peter's not trying to, he's not trying to, you know, the, the church today, and I don't say this with any, it doesn't, it hurts me to say it this way. The church today would read, would, if this happened today, the church today would say, wow, look at this Peter guy. He's not loving. He's calling, he says, you know, they murdered Jesus. But no, you see a picture of Peter on the offense. He's on the offense. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Now, you know, there's some people who start to teach that Jesus Christ was hanging on a tree. There's some people who teach that the Bible is fake because, you know, he says that it's, it was hung on a cross. And then here he says he's hung on a tree. But I'll tell you my interpretation of this. Say, for example, I wear glasses. Say, for example, a guy comes into this fellowship. He walks in and he's got big, thick Coke bottle glasses. You know, I might call him. I wouldn't say it now, but in one day in my life, I would have called called him goggles. You know, hey, goggles, come here. And then so say, for example, somebody would read a statement of mine. Hey, goggles, come here. But like 500 years into the future, they'd be like, what did... I thought people wore glasses at that time. But no, did this guy, did he really wear goggles? 
No, it's just what I call goggles. You know, I call glasses goggles. And that's what it happens whenever you see this reference of a tree. It translates as a piece of wood, a, a plank of wood. So that, you know, you hung them on a tree. It's not to say, you know, atheists, there are atheists and Satanists today. They'll say the Bible is so full of contradictions. You know, in one passage, it says the cross. Another passage, it says the tree. You see how fake the, the Bible is. That's what these uh, messengers of Satan say. But no. There's no contradiction in the Holy Word of God. There's contradiction in their lives. When their lives contradict Holy Scripture, it's to say, hey, repent. Come to the Lord. He loves you. He died for you. It's such a trip. You get verse 31. Peter says, him. God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior. Just like Zaphnath Paneah. He was promoted to be right hand of Pharaoh. Remember, a type of Christ in the Old Testament. With a Gentile wife. Just like you and me, a Gentile bride for this savior, for this prince. To give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Remember, to the Jew first. Jesus Christ was very specific. Preach the good news to the Jew first. Do all these things to the Jew first. And then once the Jews started to reject these things, he, st he started to speak to Peter. And then he, the Lord spoke to Peter. The Lord spoke to Paul and says, okay, now go to the Gentiles. Remember, we read the writings of Paul in the book of Romans and it's to provoke the Jews to jealousy. To provoke the Jews to jealousy. But then the promises of the Lord, the focus is going to return to Israel again. It's going to happen. These things are prophesied. And I love this so much because verse 32, he says, and we are his witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit. Whom God has given to those who obey him. This is a pretty, pretty big passage here in verse 32. Whom God has given to those who obey him. It's one of the blessings of obedience. The power living in the power of the Holy Spirit. So you have these brainiacs. And then you have these people who rely on these brainiacs. Oh, this pastor says, you know, the moving of the Holy Spirit was for that dispensation. It was for 2,000 years ago. It's not for today. So I'm going to believe him. Oh, yeah, you know, the, how the Holy Spirit worked in the book of Acts. That's not for today. That was for 2,000 years ago. You know what you say when somebody says that to you? Look at verse 32. Somebody says, oh, how come I'm not? How come the Lord doesn't heal me? How come the Lord doesn't touch me like he doesn't doesn't in the book of Acts? That must be for 2000 years ago. My pastor says it's for 2000 years ago. This book I read says it's for 2000 years ago. This well-known person wrote this huge book, this library about how the Holy Spirit was just for the book of Acts. And, you know, so I'm going to believe that. Or you could reference verse 32. So also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Hey, brother. Hey, sister. 
Maybe you are the one in disobedience. Instead of reading this big book on whatever, instead of listening to three hours of this fool speaking about stupid things, instead of reading this big library about how the Holy Spirit's moving was just for that dispensation, look at, not even a full verse, half a verse. The Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Maybe the Holy Spirit doesn't touch you like he did in the book of Acts because of your pornography. Maybe the Holy Spirit doesn't move in your life like he did in the book of Acts because of your alcohol. What are all those little holes I see in your arm? Are you sticking the needle in your arm again? Maybe that's why the Holy Spirit isn't moving like he did in the book of Acts. The problem's not him. The problem is you, brother. The problem is you, sister. And then you go to their alcohol cabinet, open the lid, and dump it in the sink. Then you'll see who their God is. I used to live in a time where if somebody did that, started dumping my alcohol down the drain. I mean, man. Not because, wow, I spent, you know, 20 bucks on that bottle. Why I spent 50 bucks on that bottle. You know, because alcohol was my God. And if somebody told me that, and then somebody went in my, you know, my pantry, opened up the bottle, the little lid, and dumped it in the sink, we wouldn't have words. We'd go to blows. Because that's what he was doing to my God. But the Lord healed me. The Lord rescued me. Oh, but this pastor teaches. Look at his church. There's like 3,000 people there. Look at his church. It's so huge. All these people come. Look at this book he wrote. And he says that, oh, it was just for that dispensation. The Holy Spirit doesn't move like that. Verse 32, half of verse 32. The Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Maybe the problem is you, sister. Maybe the problem is you, brother. Repent. Here, put your bottles in a bag. I'll take it for you. Then when you get home, dump it. Piece of cake. But you know what will happen? People will hate you. Truth hurts. Truth is painful to hear. When you're on the receiving end of truth and you're living a lie, it's so painful. So, so, so painful. But that's what, that's what brings repentance. I used to hate my old pastor in California. I used to hate him so much. I remember I went to this therapist that I also hated. <laughs> and I told him, you know, I was praying to the Lord. And I was like, you know, Lord, I, you know, I, I want a, a guy who was, in, you know, in a, a enlisted, a ground unit, a combat unit, United States Marine. I don't want an officer. I want somebody who was enlisted. I go to this counselor, you know, and he starts, I see the little Eagle Globe and anchor behind him. And I was like, hey, were you in the Marines? And he started telling me uh, everything he did. Like, oh, yeah, I was in this campaign, did this, this, this. And it was like my little checklist. 
And he started teaching, he started saying these things. It's like, man, this is garbage, what he was saying. Now, I want a pastor that's like, you know, I'm, I don't want a stupid guy. I don't want like, you know, a soft guy, you know, I don't like the, you know that I'm talking about. I don't know how to say it, but they're like, like a little fruity. You know, they talk, all, I don't like that. So the Lord put this guy in my life, my pastor in California. And he started to speak, you know, he was telling his testimony one time. He was like, yeah, you know, I was a, a, a ground, I was a Marine Corps infantry in Vietnam. I was like, okay, I want to hear what this guy has to say. He's like, yeah, almost, you know, killed my wife, you know, all these things. Very violent. And then, you know, it was like, wow, I, I want to hear what this guy has to say. And so I was started to listen to him teach the Bible. I didn't have a Bible with me. I started to hear him teach the Bible. I, I, I don't like this guy anymore. And then one day I brought my Bible to church. I started to bring my Bible to church and I would follow along. I wouldn't just have it in my lap, which I used to do too. They'd say, open your Bible. I'd open it to where it was and just open it and let it sit on my lap. But I actually started following along with every word that he was saying. And that's when it hit me like a ton of bricks. My problem is not the guy that I thought it was. My problem is me. That's my problem. That's what truth does to people. Some people hate it. Some people love it. What do I say? Don't shun truth. Receive truth. Let the Holy Spirit have his way in your life. In his temple. Look at verse 33. When they heard this, they were furious. Translates as they were cut to the heart and plotted to kill them. They deliberated. Translates as they deliberated to murder them. Remember in chapter 4 verse 17, they severely threatened them. Now the stakes are higher. You see how different Peter is now? Peter is totally, totally different. He's not the same Peter that we read in the book of Matthew. He's a different Peter. Can you imagine? You remember the beautiful, beautiful women that we talked about at the empty tomb? All the men who were scaredy cats and they went into their houses. They were all scared. But these beautiful women, they were preparing the aromatics for, for the Lord and his, you know, they thought he was dead. They were preparing for his dead body. And, you know, it would decompose and start to stink. And so they prepared the aromatics. We don't want it to stink. So when we come and visit him, you know, it's pleasant. And they prepared the aromatics. And all these beautiful women, a small group of women. Some old, some young, carrying their baskets, carrying it over their shoulders. It's like, okay, we have those aromatics. We're going to place them here at the tomb. They get there. The tomb is empty. Remember, the Roman guards were there. They just killed the, the patriarch of the, the movement. The men were scaredy cats. These beautiful women were brave and courageous. Tough women, tough cookies. And then they go back to the men. The Lord is alive. They thought they were crazy. The men thought they were crazy. 
That's what's so beautiful about the ministry that women have in the body of Christ. As like jumper cables to the men. It's so beautiful. Look at here. You see a different Peter. Peter's not a fraidy cat anymore. He's not a scaredy cat. He's filled with the Holy Spirit and being used by the Lord. The religious leaders, the religious establishment, when they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. The same guy, they, they wanted to kill the same guy who, who, who denied Christ. Denied Christ. Then, in verse 34, one of the councils stood up. A Pharisee, a Pharisee named Gamaliel. Gamaliel. This is Paul's teacher. It's revealed in chapter 22, verse 3. This Gamaliel is the teacher of Paul. He's a teacher of the law, as it says here in verse 34. Held in respect by all the people. He's a teacher, an expounder, a doctor of the law is how it translates. Gamaliel. And all of a sudden, he stood up. And he starts, you know, these people are plotting to kill him. Hey, you know, what's up with this Peter and his entourage? Let's kill them. They said these things. They said, you know, who speaks to us like this? All the people, they call us holy men. Look how we dress. We, 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 we pray. We make a big show out of it. And don't forget Acts 20, or, or, or Matthew 23. The Lord called them on it. Jesus Christ called them hypocrites. A brood of vipers. And this religious establishment, who speaks to us like this? You ever talk to somebody on their high horse? Who are you to speak to me like this? Who is Peter to speak to us like this? You know what? Let's kill him. And let's kill these other guys. And Gamaliel stands up, a teacher of the law held in respect by all the people and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a little while. You know what, Peter and your entourage, why don't you step out there and wait a little bit? We're going to have a little conversation. And this is what was said in this private meeting in verse 35. And he said to them, men of Israel, take heed. Translate says, pay attention and be careful. Take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. This plot to kill. This plot to kill Peter and the entourage. They started to discuss these matters. And Gamaliel says in verse 36, For some time ago, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400. So there's some kind of uprise. Some kind of uprising. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was slain. He was slain, and all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. The whole movement dissipated because the leader of the movement died. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census. This is a different Judas from, you know, the Judas who hung himself. Judas was a common name. It's like Mike, you know, a lot of Mikes, you know. It's like a common name. You see that in the Bible, like all these people, like, who is this guy? You know, is this guy the same as this guy? Is this guy the same as this guy? And then like you do studies, like, okay, they're different guys. Sometimes you're like, well, it's the same guy. Which we're going to get to in a little bit. Mark. We're going to see that too. And so he says, and after this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census 
and drew away many people after him. He also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. So it dissipated to nothing as, as well. The leader died. So look what happens here in verse 38. Gamaliel, he says, And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. Just like these other guys, just like Theodos, just like Judas of Galilee. These guys, they're going to die. Let them die of natural causes. Maybe he'll fall off a cliff. Maybe he'll, something will happen. Maybe he'll have a heart attack. But you know what? When they die, it's just going to come to nothing. If this plan or this work is of men. Verse 39. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it. Lest you even be found to fight against God. It's so cool because you know what? These people, Judas and Theodos, they died. The leaders of this movement, they died of their movements. But we have a leader of our movement. The leader of the way. And he's alive. The tomb is empty. The tomb was empty. The tomb is still empty. He's alive. It cannot be overthrown. It's just the opposite. You know, this world system, when you read the prophecies in the book of Daniel, you have this stone coming down to destroy this, you know, the, 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 the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. And you have this stone coming down to destroy it all. This figure, this, this, this dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, it's like the, the world system. I mean, you think... For Satan and his minions, spiritually speaking, but then, you know, also humanly speaking in the form of the Antichrist. Do you think he's going to want to relinquish his power? No. He's not going to want to relinquish his power. And they attempt to overthrow the coming king, the real king. King of kings and Lord of lords. Highly supernatural. These people, I mean, there are Satanists today. They hate Jesus Christ, but they know exactly who he is. They know he's the son of God. They just hate him. These are people, Satanists, who go around. You see like dead animals. You see in the news, a bunch of dead cats with their heads chopped off. It's part of their sacrifice. They're sacrificing blood to Satan. Or you see like little girls getting kidnapped. They kidnap them. Or, you know, they do things to their body and they kill them. It's a sacrifice to Satan. These are things that are happening in our community. In Vancouver, Washington, Satanist group. They, they go and they gather and they pray over regions. They pray over neighborhoods. They pray to Satan for darkness to come into the neighborhood. For drugs to come into the neighborhood. So they can do more sex trafficking. So they can kidnap a little boy, kidnap a little girl, and offer him as a sacrifice to Satan. They actively pray. They evangelize. Where's the church? Where's the church? We have a a pastor who's got a needle in his arms. 
Where's the church? They're drinking alcohol too. And all these Satanists, they come, oh yeah, you know, Satan, let the, let the alcohol grow here. Let the drugs grow over here. Let these things happen. And who's crying out to the Lord? In the church. Who is crying out to the Lord? Lord, I pray for my neighbors. I heard them fight the other day and, you know, I just pray for them, Lord. And then the next house, I'm going to pray for my neighborhood. And then all of a sudden the Satanists come. And they know, I mean, it's, it's highly supernatural. Very, very spiritual. And you're going to see this amp up in the last days. And people will hate you. Satanists know, I mean, they'll know who you are. But if God is for you, who can be against you? And if they do kill you, it's like, well, praise the Lord. To live is Christ, to die is gain. Crazy, crazy days that we live in. And so look what happens here in verse 40. And they agreed with him. And, and they agreed. Remember, Gamaliel was saying these things. Hey, you, you can't overthrow it. Lest you, you, you even be found to fight against God. And they agreed with him. And when they called for the apostles and beaten them. I think that's kind of funny. It's like a little side note. Oh, by the way, they got beat up. I mean, not that it's funny that the apostles got beaten. But it's just like, you know, we expect, expect it. These persecutions are going to increase in the last days. Because Satan knows his time is coming to an end. He knows he's fully aware of the lake of fire. Which was designed for Satan and demons. Fallen angels. People say, why would God create hell for people? No, it was for the fallen angels. It was for the demons. You know what they're doing? On their way over there, they're grabbing on to, Satan, uh, to the Lord's creation. They'll whisper in your ear, oh yeah, you like this crack? Go to this crack. And what they're doing is they're grabbing onto your soul. So when they go to hell, they're going to take you with them. The fight is very real. Then, you know, you go to church, people sing Kumbaya. Oh, yeah, I love you. Oh, my transgender pastor. Oh, cool. Can't we just love? Yeah, there's this Satanist. He's my neighbor. Come to church. I just love you. Who in the world will pick up their shield? Who in the world is going to pick up their sword? Who in the world is going to put down their helmet and get dents all over their armor? Verse 40, and they agree with them. And when they had, and when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and, they let, them, and let them go. So they departed. So Peter and the, 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 the entourage, the, the apostles... So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing. Rejoicing here. Translates as full of joy, full of gladness, and full of cheer. You think, man, they just got beat up. They just got, you know, they were just in prison. And they get out of prison. They start teaching for a little bit. And they get, you know, captured again. And this time they got the beat down. They got beat up. And they're rejoicing. Why? That they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. They were counted worthy. They were deemed 
entirely deserving to suffer shame for the name of Jesus Christ. To suffer hate, dishonor, cruelty, being despised, being rejected, and being rendered as evil. That's what happens. That's what the world will do to you. That's what the carnal will do to you. That's what people who have defected from truth will do to you and say of you. Why, you know, I'm cut to the heart. I don't want to feel this conviction. You know, I'm a homosexual, I'm a lesbian, and I go to this church and he tells me, you know, that's sinful. I don't like to hear that, so I'm going to go to this church over here. So judgmental. But who in the world is going to fall to their knees and say, you know what? I don't like what this guy has to say. I don't like what this girl has to say. But he's right. She's right. I read my Bible. I need to fall to my knees. Lord, forgive me. I repent. You know what the Bible says of those that interaction? You've gained a brother. You have gained a sister. You've gained a friend. It's not just looking out for, you know, This guy, my brother, my sister in Christ, you know, we love each other, but it's like, I got backup for my soul. Oh, that's crazy talk. That's crazy talk. Look, let's just eat, drink, and be merry, just like the days of Noah. The Lord told us about those times. Here, drink some beer. We're going to have a pasta tonight. I read this cooking book and this writer of the cooking book says, I got to have this nice Merlot. I got to have this nice whatever, Zinfandel. Look, it's really nice. It's been aged a little bit. I spent extra money. Here, have a swig. No, thanks. Your body's a temple. Remember, be holy for I am holy. Those are the words of our Lord. Oh, that's too hardcore. I don't like to hear it that way. That's too hardcore. Well, you know what? This age of grace that everybody likes to lean on, this age of grace that everybody says everything is fine and dandy, the door is going to close. It's not going to be open forever. What is the world going to look like when this age of grace, when the door closes and the Holy Spirit lifts? The Holy Spirit kind of takes his hands off of things for a little while. What is this world going to look like? You think it's bad now? These days require wisdom. Wisdom from the word. It's so beautiful here. You know, the apostles... They got beat up and here they are rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name, the name of Jesus Christ. What? This is a totally different Peter. You see what I'm talking about? About, you know, 
maybe I should have explained it better when we were in like closing the book of Matthew about these beautiful, beautiful, beautiful women. Some were old, probably wrinkly. But what they did to Peter and the others as jumper cables to say, hey, wake up. Snap out of it. Here you see a different Peter. He's not afraid anymore. He's definitely not a scaredy cat. Verse 42 in closing says, and daily in the temple and in every house. So they're going house to house and teaching. They did not cease teaching and preaching. To teach and evangelize is how that translates. Or to teach and proclaim the good news. Teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So man, the religious establishment says, hey, you have to stop. How dare you? You know, you're never going to, you know, don't teach in this name. Don't ever speak in the name of Jesus. And you know what they did? In one ear and out the other. You know what? I don't care what man says. I'm going to obey what the Lord says. The Lord says, I'm going to teach. Okay, I'm going to teach. And look what it says here in verse 42. Daily. Daily. You know, it's such a trip because it's like, I remember, like, I used to hate going to, I used to want to go to church on, you know, maybe two Sundays out of the month. I'll go to church on this Sunday. But, you know, I kind of read ahead. Oh, that's a tough subject. So I'll skip it, you know. And then I read it ahead a little bit more. Oh, that's going to be hardcore. So I'm going to skip it. Daily teaching the word of God. In the temple and in every house, going house to house. You see why I say it's a totally different church in the book of Acts. Look at the church today. This is no indictment on the church. Maybe it is. I don't know. It hurts me. It pains me to speak this way. But you look at the church today. And you look at the church in the book of Acts. There's a huge difference. Enormous difference. So we're going to end our study here. And.